reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 16. It is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your pew Bible on page 55. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day people shall go up and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the evening coils came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Word of God, word of life. Our preaching text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34 also printed uh, on the back of your bulletins, uh, or you can follow along in your pew Bibles, if you'd like, on page 933. The Apostle Paul writes, Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have been factions among you, for only so it will become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. But do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this, for this reason many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 
So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. Word of God, word of life. Let us pray. These are your words, O Lord. Your word is the truth. Lead us into the truth. Amen. So, you are what you eat. Therefore, I am at least 17% peanut butter. (laughs) Seriously, I did the math, and for the last six months, 17% of my calories have come from peanut butter. So since you are what you eat, you might just consider starting to call me Pastor Peanut Butter. Actually, please don't, uh, though I have been called worse. Uh, But let's keep on considering this idea of becoming what we eat as we conclude this four-part series on church ingredients. But I'm less interested in how that happens on some sort of molecular level and more interested in the way that eating transforms us to become the church. The church, right? That's been our focus um, on this series these last four weeks, right? And we've reflected on... I would say quite a few really important concepts as we've mulled over that list of ingredients. But as we've stripped down to the basics, we've really concluded that to be church is to be God's people, gathered around the gifts and promises of baptism. To be church is to feast on God's word, sweet with promise, and sometimes salty and bitter with challenges as well. To be church is to gather in rich diversity, not to conform, but to celebrate our differences and our sameness at the same time. And today, as we conclude this series on the essential ingredients of the church, we meditate on one final ingredient, bread. And when I think bread, Right? My pastor brain turns on, and I think, first of all, about the bread of communion. And as a pastor, it's really a wonderful thing because I get a front row seat to this beautiful sacrament we call communion. There's an awful lot that I love about my job, but especially I love walking alongside people through times of discernment, through times of struggle, through times of joy. And one of my favorite ways to do that is through this sacrament of communion. And I get to savor that part of my job today. Pastor Megan is presiding at the table today, of course, but I get to serve you. I get to be table help today, placing the gifts of God in your hands. And those hands that receive these gifts embedded in bread and wine are are many and varied. Some hands are scarred, some hands are, uh, are soft, others are calloused and, and cracked. Some are young and some are old, some gnarled with arthritis, shaking with exhaustion or the symptoms of disease. Some are pretty and decorated, others are simple and plain. These hands tell your stories. Right? Stories of the garden you've planted, the field you've worked, the children you fed. They talk about the sort of work you do, how you spend your time. 
And I know that there's even more stories that your hands are telling, uh, but maybe not quite as obvious, right? Stories about tears you've wiped and wounds that you've healed, uh, about what you've built, what you've broken down. There's other stories in there too, right? Untellable stories about things that you've done you're not so proud of, things that embarrass you or remind you of of your shortcomings and frailties. And into each of those hands, we bestow today the body and blood of Christ, the broken body of our Messiah, whose hands also healed and held, worried and worked. And in this way, we continue the Christian story. Think of the hands in Scripture. In Exodus this morning, we hear of hands that collected manna each day in the wilderness. Those same hands, those same sinful hands that turned their gold into a calf-shaped idol in false worship now learn to trust God through the daily gathering of bread. Or think of King David's hands, right? Hands that slayed the giant Goliath Hands that caressed Bathsheba in adultery. Hands that penned so many of our psalms. Think of the hands in the story of David's descendant, Jesus. There were Mary's hands who held her baby in the stable the night Jesus was born, held him safely as they fled for safety to Egypt. There were the hands of the fishermen pulling in their nets, the hands of the woman who bathed Jesus' feet with her tears. There were the hands that grasped at the fringe of Jesus' garment to be freed of a lifetime of physical ailment. There were the hands of Judas who betrayed him, Pilate who handed Jesus over to be crucified, hands that waved palms and hands that held whips, hands that nailed him up, hands that carefully took Jesus down from the cross, bathed him, and buried him. As the story passes to us, these hands become our hands. With these flawed yet faithful hands, we receive this bread of life today. And like our forebears who, who sat at supper with Christ, we approach this table, maybe at times a little confused, a little apprehensive, a little guilty, a little haughty, a little entitled, a little self-righteous, or a mixed bag, right? And yet, as we come to Christ's altar today, something amazing happens. As we kneel and wait, our hands, so unique and revealing about our lives, are washed of sin, and our hands are made equal, too. The hands of strangers and friends stretched out in like fashion, everyone gets exactly what she needs. No one has more, no one has less. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. When we kneel down and turn up our palms asking for the bread which will feed us body and soul for just that moment, for just this now we are recipients of this meal together equally broken, equally loved, our hands tell our stories and our hands outstretched show us that we are reaching
toward belief, even if just for that moment. And when that ends, our hands will go on to other things. Wiping tears and noses, perhaps. Fiddling with our keys. Wondering what's next on the agenda. But more than that, too, right? Our hands will go on to meaningful work in our families, in our communities. We will work to put daily bread on the table for ourselves and our neighbors. And as we work, these hands of ours will help us become what we have eaten this morning, the body of Christ. Don't think for a moment that there's a realm in the whole of creation that God isn't using for good, for this great restoration project. Right? The promise of the resurrection, the promise that creation is being made new in Christ means that every single form of work our hands perform is being used by God to transform and renew His creation. These hands that have received the body of Christ will be put to work for the betterment of God's kingdom. To transform and renew God's creation, to bring heaven that much closer for everyone. It's hard to comprehend because life in this broken world is so confusing and challenging. So many hands are doing so many hateful things these days. Maybe you've noticed that as I have. And yet I'm convinced that as we leave the altar today, fed and forgiven, our hands will do good things for the sake of God's kingdom. We must believe this. Because I'm convinced that this belief changes us. And it will change our work, and it will change our church, and it will change our world too. What if the church became so much more than a building? I mean, heck, what if the church wasn't a building at all, but simply an unlikely gathering of this motley crew of broken but faithful people? We could meet anywhere. In a home, in a park, in a gym, in a phone booth. Do they still have phone booths? Wherever we meet, we would be a people gathered not just to celebrate the resurrection, but to dream and hope about how that resurrection changes everything, including our daily lives, including our daily work. Our work as mothers and fathers and plumbers and attorneys and artists and politicians, business folks and more. What if, what if the church was the place where people of all kinds of different work and life and backgrounds gathered to dream and pray about the ways in which the kingdom is intersecting in their daily life and work with those many and varied hands? I'll tell you what I think would happen. I think we'd actually become the church that God calls us to be. And that would be nothing short of amazing. So I begin this series by asking the recipe for a sandwich. What makes a sandwich a sandwich? I have a different question as we conclude this series on church ingredients. When does a sandwich become a sandwich? Is it when you start taking out the ingredients, right? The minute the loaf of bread comes out the pantry and hits the kitchen counter? Is it when you take out the first piece of bread and then you put the first filling thing on top of it? Is it when the top piece of bread finally goes on top? I'm not sure that any of those are the right answer. This is the best answer I could come up with. When does a sandwich become a sandwich? 
when it's eaten, right? Until then, it's just a couple pieces of bread with stuff in the middle. And so regardless of how you make it, when does the church become the church? When does the body of Christ become the body of Christ? When it's held in our broken but faithful hands, eaten by our broken but faithful selves, carried out into the world to encounter more brokenness, more struggle, more hopelessness, and bring life in the name of the broken and risen Christ. In that moment, we become what we eat, the bread from heaven, the body of Christ. In that moment, we become the church. Let it be so. In the name of Jesus. Amen.